Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Andy Murphy. When it first hit, the COVID pandemic quickly rose to the top of the priority list for tribal leaders. It displaced any previous plans for economic progress, development, and festive public events. Tribal leaders were forced to make sweeping life and death decisions with little information to go on. In the first of a series of conversations with tribal leaders, we'll get perspectives on what it takes to make difficult decisions and what they learned from an unprecedented health and safety crisis. That's coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The fight continues to protect Bears Ears National Monument in Utah, says a Native advocate. In 2016, President Barack Obama designated more than one million acres of Bears Ears as a national monument. President Donald Trump in 2017 then slashed protections and opened up lands to development. In 2021, President Joe Biden returned protections to Bears Ears. The state of Utah and two counties filed a lawsuit in August challenging Biden's protections, arguing it's federal overreach and are asking for a congressional solution for conservation and management. Navajo advocate Davis Filfred has been fighting for the protection of Bears Ears since Obama was in office and through each new presidential administration. Filfred says while he cannot comment on the litigation, he says a coalition of indigenous people and tribes remain committed to protecting Bears Ears. It's our culture, it's our language, and it needs to be protected. Philfred says the area has cultural sites and holds traditional and religious importance to tribes. He says the area is being threatened by ranchers, hunters, recreation users, and looters. We have a lot of people that loot the place, um, hunting for potteries. Uh, we have grave diggers, and you know these are big issues that that are not out there, but it's out there and it's happening. Um, you know, these places, there's a lot of places where ATVs are forbidden and people go in these areas. There's a lot of issues. Phil Fred says he knows the public will continue to access the area. Be mindful if you're going to come into these area, take nothing but pictures. And if you're going to leave anything behind, no trash. The only thing you're going to leave is your footprints. Philfred discussed the fight for Bears Ears at an event at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque on Wednesday. A popular fishing site on the Columbia River for the Yakima Nation has been listed as a Superfund site by the federal government. As Eric Tigadoff reports, the hard part comes next. Laura Kreisner Shira is an environmental engineer with the Yakima Nation Fisheries Program. She says the area near Bradford Island is a toxic soup for resident fish, with chemicals like PCBs among the most hazardous. The take home when you start to look at all the individual effects of each of these chemicals or chemical groups is that it really affects multiple systems, it affects multiple organs, it can cause cancer. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers dumped electronics near the island for decades, leading to the current toxic situation. 
People are advised not to eat non-migratory fish up to a mile from the dam. Shira says Yakima Nation took the lead in calling for Bradford Island to be placed on the national priority list, with the states of Oregon and Washington backing up those calls. We thought that it could lead to a more protective cleanup. But we also realize that with NPL listing, it's going to require a lot of work still. Shira says despite their leadership, the Yakima Nation has been cut out of recent discussions on cleanup. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers says the process has to go through regulators first, including the states, EPA, and Army Corps, but is inviting the public to be involved after that. She says this is discouraging because it's an ancestral site for tribal members. Fishing has gone on since time immemorial. Fishing continues there, making cleanup a pressing issue. I'm Eric Tegadoff. The National Congress of American Indian Sovereignty Run begins Thursday in Concho, Oklahoma, and marks the start of the more than 1,800-mile relay from Oklahoma to California. Runners are raising awareness of tribal sovereignty and will end in Sacramento for NCAI's annual convention by October 31st. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. November is National Epilepsy Awareness Month. Did you know one in 26 people will develop epilepsy during their lifetime? Call 1-800-332-1000 to learn more. The Epilepsy Foundation supports this show. Support by Strong Hearts Native Helpline, providing no-charge confidential support and resources to Native Americans affected by domestic and sexual violence 24-7 at 1-844-7-NATIVE or strongheartshelpline.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy sitting in for Sean Spruce. None of us really knew what to expect before the spread of the COVID-19 virus became a pandemic. For tribal leaders, the health of their citizens quickly became the top priority with very little information and guidance on how it might turn out. They faced daily worries about the economic cost to the tribe on top of the very real threat to their peoples. Very often, those concerns were compounded with conflicting decisions by government leaders in surrounding cities and states. This is the first in our series of conversations about tribal leadership, and today we're focusing on how the pandemic changed their perspective and their agendas. You're welcome to join us, too. How did the leaders in your community mobilize to keep people safe during the pandemic? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us from McNair. Mary Honda in Arizona is Gwendina Lee Gatewood. She's the former chairwoman of the White Mountain Apache Tribe. Welcome back to Native America Calling, Gwendina. Thank you so much, and good morning, everyone. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, so, you know, let's let's kind of start like in the beginning. When did you first hear about the COVID-19 virus? And and then when did you see it as a threat to your community there in uh, White Mountain Apache? Oh, we first heard about the uh 
COVID-19, the coronavirus, from our uh, Department of Health, our uh, Division of Health staff. They came to a council meeting and they alerted us to the virus that was occurring overseas and that we needed to keep an eye on it. And this happened, um, I believe, October, November of, of 2019, heading you know into 2020. And um, it, it was very interesting because uh, the uh, our incident commander for emergencies, uh, Carlos Valadez and his team arrived and explained uh, what what was happening overseas. And you know, you never think that something like that would affect the world in a matter of time. But just hearing about it was concerning and very thought-provoking, and uh, the what-ifs became a, a part of your your thoughts. Right. Yeah, I remember back in um, about 2000, uh, 2019, um, you know, first started hearing it, uh, you know, when I was like, um, getting ready for a trip to Canada. And, um, you know, on the way back, you know, the news just kept getting more serious. And uh, I kept hearing about more cases, um, you know, getting closer and closer. And then, you know, talking about the airports being like a spreader of uh, the the virus. Um, and then, you know, as soon as I came back here to Albuquerque, you know, it was time to quarantine. <laughs> and everybody was kind of sent home uh, after that. So, um, yeah, definitely didn't realize that it was going to be, you know, something like this. That would that would you know be such a, a a big chapter in you know current you know American world history, <laughs> um, so so you know in those early parts of the pandemic you know we're talking about uh, 2020, um, you know what was some of the most challenging parts about uh, uh, you know being a leader of the White Mountain Apache tribe there, and then you know having to relay messages about the virus to the people. Well, you know, along with the rest of the world, we've experienced an unprecedented change in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Many people had to adjust their lifestyles, classrooms shifted from in-person to remote learning. Um, everybody, first responders, frontline workers, everybody had to adjust, not just here, but the entire world. One of the obstacles was communication. Uh, during the pandemic, it, you know, it set a new goal for me to find a way to reach out to tribal members and began searching for grants. And very, very um, intuitively, the group that was put together, the broadband group, uh, we, we looked for broadband grants. It was an excellent opportunity that was started under my administration, and we were awarded and the current administration is following through, even though I'm not in office. And this will improve communication, especially for our first responders, our hospitals, schools, and organizations. During that time, uh, we were on lockdown. We were sent home. Uh, I am the chairwoman of the White Mount Apache Tribe, and my chief of staff, my executive assistant, my immediate staff, we were like, we need to find a way to continue to communicate to the people. 
So we started utilizing YouTube and we created a weekly talk show and we just communicated to the community that way and tribal members throughout the world to let them know about the numbers of active and recovered along with the numbers of people who had passed. And we also utilized our hometown, 88.1 FM KNND, for daily radio updates. And um, during the pandemic, um, I also served as a public information officer along with our vice chairman, Jerome Casey III, and and two uh, public information officer trainees. they were very instrumental, uh, Leanne and Brenda. And at that time, communication was very important. Um, you know, when you're in a rural community, the state of Arizona, the broadband map is not complete. You're right in the middle of that particular area where there's a gap and your internet, your your communication services are lacking. So our fire departments, our police officers, all of the first responders came together and went throughout the community uh, along with our emergency operations uh, command team just using uh, bullhorns door-to-door, just telling the people what they needed to do and why it was necessary and using the radio and what services we could get with the Internet because what happened at the time was when children were, were sent home, you know, you have everybody in multi-generational homes all using the little um, Internet. You know, it's, gonna, it's not going to stay strong for very long. You're going to lose signal. It added to the frustration of communication and the ability for kids to learn. So that, that set a whole new stage of improving communication for our reservation. But very fortunate that we were able to um, do the door-to-door uh, campaigns with the CHR crew, the high-risk team over at Indian Health. I mean, everybody just came together. Johns Hopkins, the community, the frontline workers, all the department directors, the, the tribal council. Um, we knew that we had to respond. And um, under the leadership of the EOC, granted, Sometimes they, they were scrutinized, but the decisions that needed to happen was for the very purpose of saving lives. Um, that was number one priority. Right. And, um, you know, communication, uh, of course, was, um, you know, made tough by a lot of the changing uh, information about the virus coming out. It seemed like every other day, uh, along with, um, you know, just constant updates about uh, infection rates and then death rates and, um, you know, masks, uh, information about masks, and then comes information about uh, vaccines. And, you know, so there was a lot of miscommunication and misinformation that was out there. How did that, um, how did misinformation affect uh, the the people there? And how did you, what was your response to misinformation? Misinformation. Uh, misinformation, you know, through social media, different um, outlets out there that, you know, people that just say that this is going to happen and that, that would send a scare tactic to the people out there. And that was not good. Um, we 
depend on reliable information, correct information. And during the pandemic, you have a heightened uh, awareness that people are anxious, especially your tribal elders, bless their hearts, who, you know, grew up in a time when there was no um, social media, phones, what have you. They're depending on, I need a reliable, you know, transmission of, of communication. So when, when there was misinformation being communicated, we had to immediately respond and say that is not correct. We relied on our, our experts. And what I mean by experts is uh, Johns Hopkins University uh, staff, the Indian Health Service staff, the high-risk team, the CHR, the EOC, everyone who has had levels of training who were getting information about the virus um, and then communicating it back. We met every day um, with Indian Health Service uh, doctors and staff, with the EOC. We had an entire team that communicated, and we talked about the misinformation, and we talked about how we needed to correct it and um, calming people down during the pandemic. And misinformation can do a, a lot of damage, and this is where accountability was uh, paramount mm-hmm. and because you needed to help the people, and you needed to let grandma know, no, that's not correct. And when the vaccine came, boy, that was a whole other um, slew of misinformation. Right. And bless our bless our first responders, our Indian Health Service team. They they were, you know, they're the experts. They they went to school for this, and and they would say no. Okay. All right. Uh, we're here with a uh, former chairwoman of the White Mountain Apache tribe. We'll continue with uh, tribal leaders versus the pandemic after this break. Chelsea Hicks includes her Osage language throughout the short stories assembled in a calm and normal heart. She's winning praise for her debut collection described as both dark and humorous. And Choctaw writer Devin Mihusua's new detective novel, Dance of the Return, puts tradition into a suspenseful contemporary light. They're among the works on our Native bookshelf on the next Native America Calling. Support by the Facundo Valdez School of Social Work at Highlands University, now offering the opportunity to earn a culturally relevant clinical Master of Social Work degree without leaving your own community. This online MSW degree focuses on a small, supportive model with a clinical concentration. Students in rural areas, tribal communities, and or who live far from campus are given preference. Application deadline is October 15th at online.nmhu.edu. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. We're talking with tribal leaders today about what their experience was like managing community affairs during the COVID-19 pandemic. What was one of the most challenging parts leaders in your Native community faced? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And uh, joining us now is um, Jonathan Nez, president of the Navajo. Nation. Welcome back to Native America Calling, President Nez. Hi, uh, good good morning or good afternoon wherever you're at uh, throughout the country. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks, uh, Andy. I appreciate being on the show. 
Yeah, thank you so much for uh, taking this little bit of time out of your busy day. I, I hear you're at a you're at a fair, right? Yeah, you know, we uh, the Navajo people have done such an outstanding job in pushing back on COVID nineteen. We're able to, uh, you know, have these larger events. So we had the Navajo Nation Fair. We had the Northern Navajo Fair, and the fair season is closing out with the Western Navajo Fair here in Tuba City, Arizona. So it's a treat. You know, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, it's good to celebrate your accomplishments. And I think the Navajo people, uh, really all of Indian country, did an outstanding job in following the protocols, these uh, tough protocols that uh, many leaders put into place, you know, and, and we just had to do that. And being a sovereign nation, we had the ability to put some very strict protocols in place, but it was for the health and well-being of our citizens. And as you heard from uh, former chairwoman uh, Glendina Gatewood, you know, uh, I think many tribes throughout the country followed these very strict protocols, and and that's the reason why they we all were able to turn around from being number one in the country of per capita in COVID cases to now being one of the most vaccinated people in this country, indigenous peoples. Right, right. And, you know, we've been following uh, what's been happening on Navajo Nation since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, but at, like like we did with uh, Gwendina just a while ago, I'd like to go back to, you know, 2019, 2020. Um, what were some of your first thoughts when you saw, uh, you know, infection rates and, uh, you know, some of these statistics kind of uh, popping up in states for the first time and then popping up on the Navajo Nation for the first time? You know, what were your thoughts? as you know the spread of the virus was just getting closer and closer to home right you know even before the first positive case on the Navajo Nation when we saw cases starting to increase in the northwest we developed our our own Navajo Nation COVID-19 preparedness team and a lot of messaging being careful you know in and if Navajo Nation were a state we would have probably been the 48th or the 49th state to finally get a COVID positive case. And that just shows the uh, great, remarkable team effort by the Indian Health Services, Navajo area, IHS. Of course, Rosalind So uh, did an outstanding job. And, and because of that, you know, I think she's going to be doing great uh, being our IHS director because, uh, you know, she worked with the Navajo Nation our own Navajo Nation Department of Health, our own epidemiology, I mean, 638 facilities. It was a coordinated effort to push back on COVID-19 here on the Navajo Nation. But of course, you know, this uh, virus is very sneaky and uh, all the states around us had positive cases and eventually it snuck onto, onto Navajo. And But we use that same model, that uh, preparedness team model to also get information to the grassroots people. And, you know, I was, uh, I knew as a leader, we had to be visible and we went out to all 110 communities on the Navajo Nation to provide food and supplies, PPEs. And uh, I think uh, the Navajo people recognized that, you know, seeing their leaders, their 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 uh, government workers out there on the front lines brought comfort to them, and know, and that they knew that we will be able to overcome 
this challenge, uh, the, you know, with this pandemic. And, you know, I just applaud. Now, now this was before the, uh, the vaccine was available. So it was really scary for us, but, you know, through the prayers and, you know, being precautious, not one of our staff got COVID-19 during those community visits. And like I said, I think it brought comfort to our citizens. And once the, um, vaccine was available the rollout happened i think indian country i know navajo we got the vaccine that very same day everybody got the vaccine throughout the country and it was just mobilizing and getting the medicine into the arms uh, of our citizens right right um, so what was the most challenging part about being a leader uh, for the tribe during this time one of the challenging um um items that that we we came to uh, uh, see is that half more than half of our Navajo citizens live off the Navajo Nation and so when we locked our Navajo Nation down you know our relatives wanted to go back and check on their loved ones and their elders and sometimes it was difficult but we did message to say hey you know if you're coming from off the Navajo Nation you know follow the guidelines if you're going to visit grandma and grandpa, you know, do it safely. And I know many of our Navajo people, uh, you know, dropped off food and supplies at a distance. Uh, wood was being delivered by uh, their relatives during the winters. But I think that was one of the challenging times because not everybody had the same protocols as the Navajo Nation. You know, mask mandates were taken off and then back on. Off on Navajo, we had a mask mandate, and but it was just really hard to control um, our relatives to get their tests right and making sure. You know, back then it was very unpredictable, and there was no test kits available, so. We just made sure that uh, our Navajo people were were uh, taken care of and then vaccinated off the Navajo Nation. I know a lot of them came back to Navajo to get their shots, and that was um, uh, a challenge as well. But uh, overall, I, I think, uh, really, the Navajo people, uh, I commend them, and they've done a great job in helping each other out, even the young people while they're staying home because uh, the classes were canceled, uh, people were at home, you know, we challenged them to learn their culture, learn their language, learn their ways of life, you know. And now we hear uh, in certain places how, you know, educators are saying our, our, our students didn't learn much during the two years. Yeah, I, I guess in the classroom knowledge, but I think for us indigenous people, uh, our children learn a lot about life, you know. I mean, growing uh, crops, um, going back to taking care of their animals, and just um, learning a lot about uh, Navajo. Even our language, was, there's a renaissance that happened during these two years, and it's just challenging our Navajo people to uh, embrace this difficult time so it can become a positive uh, outlook for the future. Uh, I know we lost over 1,900 of our Navajo citizens our thoughts and prayers go out to uh, those families and those that are still um, having some health issues from it. But I think overall, it showed and magnified the resilience of our, our citizens, and, and not just Navajo. Again, all of Indian country, because we have a different worldview. You know, while people were saying 
you're taking away my freedoms by forcing me to wear a mask or forcing me to stay home. In Indian country, we thought about our family members, our community, our, our nations, and that's the difference in the worldview. And I think because of that, we were able to turn the tide on COVID-19. Of course, the, the virus is still here, but you know, I think uh, with the vaccine and the protocols in place, we've, we've managed to uh, persevere throughout this difficult time. Right, right. It's it's hard to believe that all of this just happened in in the span of a couple of years, um, and uh, you know we're we're at a place where you know we're starting to get together and celebrate, um, you know, safely, uh, and uh, there's not as many like um, you know COVID safety restrictions uh, that much anymore. Uh, but you know Navajo Nation has kind of always been at the at the face of um, um, you know, the, the pandemic in Indian country, uh, you've always made time to give interviews to the press. You've come on our show a couple of times throughout this time. Why was it important for you to speak out publicly to the media during this time? Well, the media uh, and technology is a powerful tool to get information out to our citizens and also to let uh, our people out there know, again, half of our Navajo people live all across the country, all over the world, and they'll listen to your show, Native American Calling, and they hear what's happening on our in our communities. And, you know, I think there's a sense of pride when they hear the news that they're that we're able to uh, overcome, you know, the high rates of COVID positive cases, and now, you know, it's a model in in, in this country. It's a model in Indian country. Uh, and, and you know, I've met with the president of the United States of America, met with Congress uh, people, leaders up in D.C., and they said, man. Indian country have, has done an outstanding job, and they even say, too, the White House would say, you know, if everybody did what Indian country did, we would have been out of this pandemic a very long time ago. And that just shows the collaboration and the, the strength of our frontline workers, our nurses, our doctors, our police officers. Man, there was just so many uh, healthcare professionals out there in public safety personnel that were on the front lines. And I always use the analogy, and this is me, you know, I, I always thought um, that, you know, generals that, that fought alongside their their soldiers uh, showed strength and humility and comforted their, their, uh, their soldiers. And so doing the same thing when we were out there, to be shoulder to shoulder with our healthcare professionals, our doctors, being on the front lines, battling uh, COVID-19, I'm sure gave them strength. It gave me strength um, most definitely to continue to, you know, take care of our citizens, and then also to let everybody know we're gonna we're gonna beat this. And some people out there, uh, you probably know, called Indian country out and said they're gonna wipe out uh, some of the tribes, but no. We're overcomers, and uh, I think the the resilience of our of our people was magnified uh, throughout this pandemic. And as they see it now, people are trying to study the tribes. How 
how did they do it? What what can the rest of this country do to to model uh, something? Because you know, in the future, who knows? We've got monkeypox right now. There could be another uh, a virus that comes into this country, and how do we combat that? And I think there are a lot of lessons learned. We got monkeypox here on Navajo for uh, confirmed cases, but that's uh, thank God that's all we've had because of the lessons learned with COVID nineteen. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, you know, other variants out there that are starting to spread. I've heard this morning on the news, um, you know, but for, for yourself, you know, you, you were just talking about being shoulder to shoulder with all the uh, emergency responders and health workers out there and, you know, watching you over, um, you know, the social media, you're at these different chapters all over the Navajo Nation. You're having meetings like every day and, and um, you know, talking about the pandemic uh, to to not only the media, but to citizens and making, you know, tough decisions. I mean, where where did you get the the maybe the energy and how did you take care of yourself, you know, personally from, uh, you know, I know you had to say lots of condolences to families uh, during this time. But, you know, how did you how did you deal with, um, you know, some of that, that that big weight there and how did you take care of yourself right you know i've been an avid runner uh, plant-based eater um, and so you know even that your, your immune system is pretty strong to a lot of viruses and i mean i, I maybe uh, i equate um not catching covid I have not caught COVID uh, throughout this pandemic, and I thank God for that, bottom line. But just following these protocols, CDC, the protocols that we put in place uh, really helped uh, me as a person. Of course, I had to be careful. You know, there was so much uncertainty at the beginning. You know, I had to stay in a different room because I was always out there. Uh, every day in the communities, and I didn't want to bring no virus back to my family. So I had to be in a separate room for weeks at a time, and that was pretty difficult. Um, but again, you know, that, that was uh, what we needed to do to be visible out there in the community so that our Navajo people know that our president is out there on the front lines, and we're going to overcome this this virus, this challenge, just as, you know, our ancestors did the same since time immemorial. And that's kind of what I followed, you know, our, our teaching of our ancestors and our past leaders to be there, not to uh, go behind the, the computer and, and complain, but to just get accurate information out to our people so that they know what's going on and technology i think we're utilizing it in the fullest and information is power and an informed citizen is uh very powerful for a nation 
All right. Thank you so much. Um, that was uh, President Jonathan Nez from Navajo Nation. Uh, we're talking to tribal leaders today about how they um, experienced, uh, you know, maybe a different perspective of leadership during the COVID-19 uh, pandemic here. And you can join us, too. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And uh, President Nez, I have one more question for you and we're going to go to a break just uh, in a minute here too. But how did your perspective of leadership change throughout this time? You know, we, we've studied uh, all sorts of leadership. And, you know, I'm a political science major working on a PhD in public administration, tribal management. But that servant leadership is, is something that I always come back to in helping people in our community, you know, facilitating these discussions. It's not about, you know, saying I'm making decisions my way or the highway. I bring public health experts during this public health emergency together and to listen to them and to listen and they give you recommendations and then you make a decision based on that. And that's what, you know, I've done throughout this COVID pandemic is to incorporate much of the recommendations from our police officers, uh, the leaders there, okay. and also our healthcare professionals. So, all right, thank you so much. We'll be back after this break. Did you know more than 51,000 Native and Indigenous people are living with epilepsy in the United States? Epilepsy is a neurological disorder that causes recurring, sudden, unprovoked surges of abnormal electrical activity in the brain. Call 1-800-332-1000 to get information and resources. Help someone you know by learning seizure first aid at epilepsy.com slash first aid. The Epilepsy Foundation supports this show. This is Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy, and we're talking with tribal leaders today about what it was like keeping their communities safe during the worst parts of the COVID pandemic. Do you think it was a tough job being a tribal leader during this time? There's still time to join our discussion. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. I'd like to bring it back, uh, Gwendina Lee Gatewood. She's the former chairwoman of the White Mountain Apache Tribe. Hey, Gwendina. Uh, we just uh, wrapped up with President Nez there, and um, I wanted to ask you one of those same questions we asked him. Um, how did the pandemic uh, change your perspective on leadership? When the pandemic came, you know, what we were doing on a day-to-day basis changed, and um, we, I knew that we all had to work together. Everything else, yes, business was still going, but the priority was to save as many lives as possible. And given that, you know, working with with our experts, a huge shout out to Dr. Ryan Close of Indian Health Service and Dr. McCauley and their high-risk team, just giving their expertise, working with all the different groups um, together, communicating, and the community members out there. You know, they they had their unwavering contributions and continued 24-7. And 
the way it changed leadership because for me, you know, business as usual still, but the focus was on the pandemic. We need to save people. You know, the the certain projects will have to just have a pause. That doesn't mean it's going away. It means we have lives to save here because um, that old saying, you know, you can always replace a, a material item or you can replace something, but you cannot replace a human life. So that was very profound. And especially our elders, we, we, they are our wisdom keepers. They are the people that lived the closest to, you know, the, the earlier times. And we needed that, that history, the oral history, the tradition, the culture, the heritage, the language. And, and we, we had to do everything that we could to make sure that lives were saved. And unfortunately, we, we lost a few, uh, 63 total, one from um, complications, which the total came to 64. But our total case fatality rate was 0.028%. Our vaccine rates are some of the highest. Um, it, it just changed leadership because um, we went from the day-to-day, -day, you know, what, what we were working on to everyone go home, you know, shelter in place. We need to see through this pandemic. And um, in our lifetime, we've never had to endure such a um, extreme measure but families out there had their share of challenges and having to adapt and being innovative. And these, these challenges made you think, okay, what, what, what do we need to do next? Um, all for the sake of, of helping our White Mountain Apache people and the people that live here, not just here, but elsewhere. We, we shared our information. Other tribes would come and, and call and ask, how are you doing this? And we would share our information even with local communities mm -hmm. because at a time like this, you need to share with one another to, to save one another. Right. And, you know, I'm betting it was really difficult to uh, tell people to, you know, stay away from each other and not gather um, because that, uh, you know, was a, uh, part of uh covert restrictions uh you know back in back in the day but um what was that like for you to to tell people oh we're not going to we're not going to uh you know have this uh ceremony or we're not going to gather for this uh fair or holiday time it, it was difficult uh mm -hmm. the apache people indigenous people were 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 social people we gather for birthdays, we gather for ceremonies, we gather when a loved one passes. And it, it's been with us for a very, very long time. And when you have multi-generational homes out there, people are used to gathering, they comfort one another, they get strength from one another just from seeing an, another person helping them through this difficult time. And you are asking them, you cannot have a wake that that just um, pierced my heart because I I knew that our people were were hurt. Like you're asking them, I know you want to have a wake, but we can't right now because this is um, a pandemic. We don't know um, 
what will happen in the future, especially before the vaccine came. That was extremely difficult because we were learning day by day what what was working and what wasn't and asking people to to stay apart at a time when they really needed each other was um, something that I know weighed on their mental health. It weighed on their physical health. It weighed on everybody. It was like this tremendous weight on everyone's shoulders and asking them to stay home. Um, Our college students, bless their hearts, having to stay home, knowing that we didn't have good internet and they had to do a college exam and having the internet go out right in the middle of a college exam, you know, mm-hmm. it, it led to um, feelings. I know feelings of hurt, feelings of how can you ask me to do this? But as a, you know, as a leader, I, I, I felt like a family, you know, when you're in a family and mom and dad have to make a decision despite the kids arguing, saying that's not fair. But as a mom and dad, you know, you know that I know you don't like this decision right now, but this is something that will help you in the future. And that that's how the perspective that that I had to look at it in that way. And granted, I, I probably was not a very popular person uh, during that time because of some of the decisions made, a lot of blame. But in the end... I am very uh, comforted and reassured that with everyone working together, you know, we we had to do what we had to do to help our white Mount Apache people and the people that live here to see this through. When everyone else probably wasn't listening to mandates, we we were holding our own because there Mm -hmm. are no white Mount Apache people anywhere else that we could, you know, go and be with. This is our home. This is our anchor. This is where our people have always been. And we need we needed to do what we had to do to see it through. And who would have imagined? And now we're dealing with the mental health of those effects, the kids, their mental health. How is it? How can we help them through it? The elders, it's very traumatic when you think about it. You've just experienced a pandemic and, and you're recuperating. But we are very blessed that our creator protected us and working together. That's a lesson learned for our indigenous people, that prayer and faith, strength and compassion. The cornerstone of our indigenous people is our family and making sure that we survive Mm -hmm. no matter what circumstances and that we are still here today. It's in our DNA. And I can't thank everyone enough out there for going above your call of duty. Thank you for sticking by the protocols during this tumultuous years. And no matter what, still getting up every day and, and going at it and creating an environment of safety, you know, prayer, camaraderie, knowing that we had to work together. And Yes, it was a tumultuous time, but it was also a time where families were at home. Mm-hmm. And and a positive out of that is mom taught her sons how to make bread. Dad taught his daughters how to change a tire. Grandma, who lives with the, the family, 
she got to tell her stories of, of when she was a little girl. And it, it was to me somewhat of a, of a blessing because maybe all those other times the families out there were rushing in and out because they had other things to do. But once they were home, Hey, grandma's here. Grandma, tell us about the time when you were a little girl. Maybe that was something she never told, but this was a time where it was told. And now it's a part of our history and what we do with that. We continue forward and teach others, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that echoes what, um, you know, President Nez was talking about just a while ago. Um, You know, thank you so much for that, uh, Gwendina. I have to go to another guest we have here from Point d'Achien, Louisiana. We have uh, Donald Dardar. He is the second chairperson for the Point d'Achien Indian tribe. Welcome to Native America Calling, Donald. Thank you for having me on. And uh, it's the afternoon over here and yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, you know, your community there in uh, Louisiana has met with a couple of uh, very difficult situations, and some of them are environmental. You know, um, 2010, there was a huge uh, uh, oil spill. Uh, how did the pandemic kind of complicate um you know how the how the community community there was dealing with all of this other stuff like uh, climate change and uh, hurricanes and oil spills and having to move the community. Uh, the community didn't move. It just uh, mm. like during the hurricane last year, we had to uh, we had to uh, adjust to that because of uh, it hit during the that the, the, the COVID. And all our, our people was already uh, mostly quarantined. Everybody was just staying home and avoiding big crowds and all. Okay. And how did tribal leaders like yourself step up during the first couple months of the pandemic? We're talking about 2020. The pandemic, uh, my, my, the first case I heard, I heard on the news, and the first case I heard, heard about was over there in, uh, in Washington, Washington State. And uh, that's uh, that's the first case I heard about. Heard about on the news, and uh, people watch watch news pretty much over here. With three or four channels that we watch, and just uh, <clears throat> they were pretty pretty up on it. So everybody just listened to what they said and stayed home. And we are a commercial fishing community here, so we we uh we fish, crabs, shrimp, and oysters, and and fish. So we, uh, all we need to go to the store for really was uh, maybe like cooking oil and rice, and in the rest we just live on crab, fish, and shrimp. That's, that's what I did anyway, and most of them did the same thing, you know. Yeah. All right. So you know, what was the most challenging part about being a being a leader for the community during this time? Well, just making sure that they were like for the when the hurricane before the hurricane hit, I was hoping that uh, and making sure that everybody evacuate because we got a direct hit from uh, from the hurricane last year and it ran uh, right over our community here and we got uh, 
pandemic and having to quarantine and stay inside together and stay inside the community how has that changed um maybe the bond everybody has with each other just make everybody uh, appreciate what they got you know and living uh and uh like here down the bayou here we call it down the bayou and we are uh I'm related to, like, on the food side, I'm related to everybody from on the 40 homes. I'm related to every, every single one of them in the, in the community here. So that makes, uh, that makes it so much easier because we're family, all family. So it makes it so much easier for somebody to, to appreciate what we got and everybody there is uh, all good. Okay. Yeah, so... Yeah, yeah. Everybody in the in the bayou is all good. Um, what it, what message would you give to uh, community members now about uh, staying safe? You know, in, in case of future uh, viruses, like you know, we were just talking about monkeypox, and there's different variants of the uh, of COVID kind of spreading around. What would you say to your um, your community about that? About being safe? Yeah. So. Do what we've been doing, just try and uh, try and avoid catching it. And uh, like uh, I caught me and my wife both caught COVID uh, uh, a few months back. And uh, and uh, whenever you catch it, you know you got it because uh, it's a, a different. Everybody says like a cold, but it's not. You know, it's, it's got its own uh, its own symptoms. Whenever you, you catch it, we went to the doctor and we go, got the, the testers and we're both positive. And uh, so as long as uh, people watch the news, make sure that, I know the pandemic's still here. It's not, a lot of people might think it's over, but it's, it's still here. We didn't catch it till uh, a few months ago. And so uh, no, just being a little careless, I guess, not careful enough. And everybody wearing masks is at the, at the height of the pandemic, but and uh, a lot of people think it's over now, but it's still uh, it's still with us. We just gotta be we gotta be careful. All right. All right, uh, second chairperson for the Point Ocean Indian community there in Louisiana. That was uh, Donald Dar Dar, uh, staying safe uh, on crabs and shrimp and all that good stuff in the bayou. Uh, I'd like to say thank you to all of our other guests we had. We had uh, former chairwoman of the White Mountain Apache Tribe, Gwendina Lee Gatewood, and also Navajo Nation uh, President Nez. Join us tomorrow. We're talking about new books on the bookshelf.
Support by the Facundo Valdez School of Social Work at Highlands University, now offering the opportunity to earn a culturally relevant clinical Master of Social Work degree without leaving your own community. This online MSW degree focuses on a small, supportive model with a clinical concentration. Students in rural areas, tribal communities, and or who live far from campus are given preference. Application deadline is October 15th at online.nmhu.edu. If you or someone you know is feeling sad, hopeless, or experiencing a mental health or substance use crisis, call, text, or chat 988. 988 is a new three-digit dialing code for 24-7 emotional, mental, or substance misuse support. 988 connects you to free confidential support. You are not alone in a crisis. Just call, text, or chat 988. For more information, visit 988.nm.org. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.